We're going to be in Revelation chapter 11 this morning. Revelation chapter 11. I'm preaching through the uh, book of Revelation, taking it, trying to do chapter by chapter. I should get through the chapter 11 this morning. Revelation chapter 11. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you again that you would make that decision and just put your, by simple childlike faith, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Just uh, trust Him as your Lord and Savior. Call on Him to save you, and He'll save you. It's as simple as that. You say, is that is all it takes? That's all it took for me. I can't speak for everybody else out there, but I'll just tell you, I just, by simple childlike faith, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was going to hell without Jesus Christ. I knew He was the way. I knew, I believed that He died for my sins. I believed that He was buried. I believed that He was resurrected. I believed that He's alive. That's the key thing. Because when you're praying, asking him to save you, got, you're not praying to an idea or a philosophy, or you're not playing, praying to something. You're praying to a person, a man named Jesus Christ, that can hear you every word you say. So when you bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, will you please save me? I know I'm going to say, will you please save me? He'll save you. And you, you'll, you'll never be the same again. I can promise you that. All right, Revelation chapter 11. Let's get right into it. Revelation chapter 11. Verse 1, and there was given me, that me would be John, who's writing the, the book of Revelation. There was given me a reed, like unto a rod, it'd be like a measuring stick. And the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray, Lord, you'd bless this. Word, Lord God, you did promise you'd bless the reading or the hearing of this word, Lord. I pray you bless it this morning, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit will move, lead, God, direct us into all truth, Lord, just this morning. And Lord, I pray, Father, there's a heart out there this morning that's trying to make that decision for you, Lord God, that they would, they would make the right decision and put their faith in you, Lord. And Lord, I pray, Father, this, these words on this book and this paper, Lord, would come alive, would come off the book, Lord, and be real to us, Lord. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray. Amen. So what you have going on here is he tells him, rise up and measure the temple. What's interesting about that is that means there has to be a third temple built. That's very important. There has to be a third temple built. Now, when we get into Revelation 13, I'm going to be preaching more on the Antichrist and what's going on with the Antichrist. But the Antichrist is prophesied to go into the temple and stand up and say, I'm God. Well, there's no temple right now. There's been no temple for 2,000 years. So the first temple was Solomon's temple. Solomon, David's son Solomon built it. It was marvelous. It was magnificent. It was, uh, they estimated that it was worth trillions of dollars. I mean, in modern day money, the way, how much gold was put into it. And then it came, Nebuchadnezzar came in. He's a great type of the Antichrist. He destroyed the temple. This is before Christ's time. When Jesus Christ was born of a virgin in his time, Herod had rebuilt that temple. It was nowhere near what it was in Solomon's time, but it was nice enough. And Jesus walked along, and the disciples says, we're marveling at the temple, and Jesus Christ says, you see this temple? There'll be one day, there'll be not, not one stone turned. There won't be left one stone of this, this temple unturned. And they're like, whoa, they couldn't believe that. That was a prophecy. Jesus prophesied at that time that that temple was going to be destroyed. Well, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, after it came up, after the book of Acts in about 70 A.D., Roman, the Roman emperor, governor Titus came in. He destroyed that temple in 70 A.D. That was the second temple. It was destroyed. 
So for 2,000 years, the Jews, the Jewish people, were spread out. They were cast out of Israel. They were cast out of the land. There was no temple. There was no sacrifice. For 2,000 years, and then World War II happened. What was so special about World War II? Well, a man named Adolf Hitler came to power, and he hated the Jews. And he decided with his henchmen, Grobels and some other people, they decided to eliminate the Jews. The Jews were the problem. So they rounded up about 6 million Jews and they put them into concentration camps and they killed them. All over the world. This is why the whole world watched this take place. So after World War II, when Adolf Hitler was destroyed, the German Empire was destroyed, the Nazis were destroyed, the Jews had nowhere to go. They were still hated. They were living out in boats. They had gotten away. Some of them had escaped the concentration camps. They had nowhere to go. Well, there's a great movement to take them back to their homeland, Israel. And thank God for Truman, our president, against every recommendation of his cabinet, he decided to vote in the United Nations to make Israel a nation in one day. That was prophesied in Isaiah 66. So in one day, Israel that had not been a nation for 2,000 years, all of a sudden was a nation again in 1948. So why am I putting an important, what's important about that, brothers and sisters, is that tells you that God's time clock was starting up again. So from 1948, the Jews, they've been trying to run them out of that land. Iran, Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, they tried to come in and run them out of that land. God's hand was on Israel. He wouldn't let it happen. They fought. They survived. And then something funny started happening. They started prospering. And now Israel, believe it or not, is where a lot of our technology comes from today. Israel today is one of the richest nations in the world. As small as it is, it's one of the richest nations in the world. But something else happened. Whenever Israel got in there and the Jews got back in their homeland, something weird happened. They sided and they started thinking, we want to rebuild the temple. This is 2,000 years after what you're reading right here prophesied there had to be another temple built. They started thinking we need to rebuild the temple. And they're getting all the stuff together. And over the, over the 70 years they've been in Israel, they have got the stuff together. They've gotten all the stuff ready for the temple. They've got, they found the red heifers. I've heard they found the red heifer somewhere over in San Angelo. It don't matter where they found it. They've got that red heifer. They can sacrifice that red heifer, get it ready to start that temple worship again. And when that happens, guys, you better get your bags packed. That means Jesus Christ is about to come back. I'm here to tell you that the signs of the times are all around us. So that temple has to be rebuilt. And he says there in verse 2, the Gentiles for the holy city shall they tread upon underfoot 40 and 2 months. At 40 and 2 months, that's three and a half years. So in the tribulation period, there's a timeline there. I still believe it's seven years. Now, it depends who you talk to. Some really good, smart men think it's only three and a half. I think it's seven. But either way there, that's, let's say it tri that tribulation period is seven years. I'm going to put seven up here. All right? So that's a time that all of God's wrath is poured out. So you got seven years, and what do we have? We have, we have seven uh, seals. Right now, we're going through the seven trumpets. And then there's seven personages, and we're going to go into those in, uh, starting, in, uh, starting in chapter 12. And then there'll be seven vials. So seven years in here. <clears throat> Three and a half years will be right here. The seven-year period of great tribulation. Three and a half years. So you got three and a half on this side, 
You got three and a half on that side. And then Jesus Christ comes back. What happens before the tribulation period? The church is raptured out. We're took out of here. That's what we're waiting on. We're waiting on that day. It could happen tonight. Praise the Lord. It could happen. I hope it does. Only reason I hope it doesn't, if, the only reason I hope it might tarry is if some of y'all in here aren't saved and don't get saved this morning. But three and a half years, and then another three and a half years, that little mark I put down there, that's, that, I'll, I'll preach on that in Revelation chapter 13. So let's look at verse 3. Revelation 11, verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. So there's two witnesses that God raises up. And these two witnesses, it says they prophesied for a thousand two hundred, three score. A score is 20. So you see three score, that's three times 20, that's 60. So what that's saying is that's 1,260 days. So a Jewish calendar is not like our calendar. Our, our calendar that we have like on that wall right there, it goes by, it goes by solar, 365 days in a year. A lunar calendar like the Jewish calendar is 360 so, uh, 1,260, what that is, that's three and a half years. That's what that is. So, they're going to prophesy for three and a half years. And those two witnesses are going to prophesy that last three and a half years is when those, these two witnesses are going to rise up. And they're going to prophesy. They're going to preach. They're going to preach that Jesus is about to come back. They're going to preach that, the, that God's wrath is on mankind right now. And you need to repent. That's what they're going to preach at that time in the tribulation period. They're going to try to turn the, the people that are left into to Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Who are these two witnesses? Well, it's pretty easy to figure out if you study through your Bible. Let's look at the prophecy of, first off, let's look at the prophecy of these two candlesticks, these two olive trees. Look at Zechariah chapter 4. Turn to the left. If you can find the book of Matthew, go to the left, you'll find Malachi and then Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 4. Because these two witnesses were prophesied to Zechariah way back, about 500 years before Christ was even born. There was a prophecy that the Lord was going to have two witnesses. And you're seeing it fulfilled here in Revelation chapter 11. So if you're turning with me, Zechariah chapter 4 verse 1. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? And I, that's Zechariah, said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps therein, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. That's a great type of Jesus Christ. But look at verse 3, though. And two olive trees, there's the two olive trees, standing next to this lamp. By it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side of the bowl. He sees this candlestick with the seven lamps. That candlestick represents Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And then on one side is an olive tree and on another side is an olive tree. And he sees these two olive trees. And so I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest not, that, not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. So he gives another prophecy so skip down to verse 11. He gives another prophecy in there, and you can go home and read that when we have more time. But look down at verse 11. He answers this question to Zechariah. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? He said, Who are these two olive trees These two that are the two witnesses? 
Verse 12, And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? Two candlesticks, two olive trees. Verse 13, And he answered me and said, Knowest not thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Zechariah says, No, I don't. Verse 14, Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. There you go. The two witnesses, the two olive trees that are mentioned in Revelation 11, it says there the prophecy of them, they, these are the two anointed ones. They're anointed. They're two men, and they stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Who's the Lord of the whole earth? That's Jesus Christ. We just read in, we just read in Sunday school where the storms were raging on the sea and everything, and the Lord of the earth stood up and said, hey, be calm. And they went, whoop, got calm. That's the creator. The creator of the wind and the ocean and the sea. The creator of you and me. He does what he wants to do. But there's two witnesses. One on one side, one on the other. Look at Matthew chapter 17. We'll see this take place. Matthew 17 verse 1. Scripture to scripture. So brothers and sisters, what you got to do to understand what's going on in one part of the Bible, you got to study other parts of the Bible. That's why it's so important to, if you can, read your Bible daily. Get that Bible read daily. You'll be amazed how much your mind will soak into it. You'll think, I'm not learning nothing. Yeah, you're learning something. The Holy Spirit will use it to help you. And you'll, the stuff will pop out at you and you're like, oh, I remember that. That was mentioned in, oh, what? But look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into the high mountain apart. And was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun. And his raiment was white as a light. There's the... Lord God Jesus Christ in all his glory transfigured on this mountain as the Lord as he shines forth his light. Look at verse 3. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Woo! There's the Lord Jesus Christ transfigured, glorified like he's coming back the second time. And when he does that, they see Moses on one side and they see Elijah, it's Elias in the Greek, Elijah, they see him on the other side. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. My brothers and sisters, that's the two witnesses you're reading about in Revelation 11. Now, you're in Matthew, right? Just turn to the left a little bit, and you'll find a little book called Malachi. Turn to Malachi, back to the Old Testament. Chapter 4, Malachi chapter 4, real short book of the Bible. Real short chapter of the Bible, but there's so much in there. <laughs> but turn to it, Malachi chapter 4. I'm trying to show you through Scripture how you can find out who these two witnesses are. Because you'll have some false religions try to say, those two witnesses, one, you, you, you have the Mormons say one thing, you'll have the Jehovah's Witness say another thing, you'll have the Catholic Church say another thing. All you have to do is read your Bible. You don't have to believe what this bald-headed preacher says. Read your Bible. I'm showing it to you so you'll have it. Not because I found it or that I'm something special. You can find it too. It's right there. I'm just showing it to you. I don't want you, I don't want to take the authority away from the Bible. I want the authority to be put on this book. So you'll know when I say Jesus Christ will save you, this book says he'll save you. He will save you. And he's coming back. Now look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. Ooh, second coming. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. They'll be burned up. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, 
that shall, shall lead them neither root nor branch. That's the second advent. That's a tribulation period that we're studying. Look at verse 2, though. But unto you that fear my name shall the S-U-N. See that capital S-U-N? Remember when Jesus Christ was on that mountain in Matthew 17? Did it not say he shone like the sun, S-U-N? The S-U-N of righteousness is Jesus Christ, the righteousness of the Lord. Amen, he is. The son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Did the Lord Jesus Christ heal your soul? Amen. This is the guy right here. You got him right there. Arise with healing in his wings. Ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. He'll take care of you like you're his. Look at verse 3, though. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Woo! Burns them up. Whoosh! Now, I'll show you in Zechariah chapter 11 and 12 and 13 where it looks like it's an atomic explosion going off. It says their, face, their eye sockets and their tongues will melt in their mouth while they stand like an atomic explosion going off, boom, going off, and these nuclear weapons going off. It says they'll be just turned into ashes. He says there'll come a day you'll be walking on the wicked. There'll be ashes under your feet. That's why it's important to get saved. <laughs> Verse 4, remember ye the law of Moses. Oh, there he is. There's Moses, my servant. Remember ye the law of Moses. Moses represents the law, remember? Which I commanded unto him in Horeb and for all Israel with his statutes and judgments. He's talking about the end times. He's talking about the second advent. He's talking about the wicked being destroyed. He says, remember Moses? And then look at verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet. See, he represents the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. It's prophesied, brothers and sisters, that before Jesus Christ comes back, that Elijah will show up. Now, a Jew, when they have their Passover, every year, one of the things a Jew does, and they don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, an Orthodox Jew, they don't think Jesus is the, is the Messiah, even though we know He is, amen. They have their Passover, and they send their kids out to the door. And one of the things they do during Passover, send the kids out the door, and the door's, kid's supposed to open up that door. And, <laughs> excuse me, they're supposed to look out for Elijah. Every Jew knows Elijah's coming back. When the Lord came back, and they said, Jesus, when the Lord came, they said, Jesus, but doesn't it say that Elijah has to come first? And Jesus Christ said, he does come. He is come. It's John the Baptist, if you will receive it. And they didn't receive it. So John the Baptist isn't Elijah, but he was Elijah. But he, Elijah's still coming as Elijah. So those two witnesses, you see one is Moses there in verse 4. The second one is Elijah. All right, back in Revelation chapter 11. Let's finish this off. Revelation chapter 11. We've got the two witnesses. Let's see what these two witnesses do. Revelation chapter 11. The two witnesses, one is Moses, one is Elijah, the greatest men of the Bible. Man, I love Elijah. If I could, I would preach on Elijah every Sunday. I did a whole series of sermons on Elijah. Why do I love Elijah so much? Because he's a man's man. Whenever he was having a competition with the other prophets of Baal, you know what he did? Whenever they were out there and they were doing their little dance trying to get the fire to come down from heaven, Elijah says, hey, maybe your God went to sleep. Maybe he's went off on a venture. <laughs> he was laughing at him. I like Elijah. He's mocking him, making fun of him. That's Elijah. That's who God says, that's one of my witnesses. That guy right there that wasn't afraid to offend somebody, he was standing next to Jesus. And the other side was Moses. 
The two witnesses, verse 4, these are the two olive trees, the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. See that standing? There he is, standing with Jesus. And verse 5, and if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. They're fire-breathing preachers. Don't you hear? I hear that all the time. I don't like those preachers, held fire, damnation preachers. Well, I actually like them. So I'm kind of like, I, I remember reading a story about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln says he likes a preacher that preaches like he's fighting off bees. That's kind of preacher. I like, I, that's what I like, Dwight O. Moody. I like the Billy Sundays. I like that. Oh, the hellfire, repent. That's John the Baptist. That's Elijah. That's Jeremiah. That's Ezekiel. That's all the great men of the Bible. That's how they preached. And the world doesn't like it. It doesn't surprise me. I love it. And that's what we have. Fire comes out. You know, you know Elijah, he's up on a mountain, and they, they, uh, Ahab sends some uh, people up there to get Elijah. He's up on the mountain, and they're like, hey, come on down here. There's like 50 of them. Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down and consume you. Fire come down from heaven. Whoosh. Consumed up those guys. So the king sent 50 other guys. They come up there, and they're like, the king says, come down. And Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down and consume you. Whoosh. Happens a second time. Third time, they send the guys up there, go get Elijah. That captain comes up there and goes, please, Elijah, please, 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 please come. Don't send fire down. Elijah says, okay, I'll come on down with you. <laughs> goes on down. Read that story. It's all in the Bible. Great stuff. And he had power over fire. When Korah was messing with Moses and the earth opened up and swallowed up Korah, the Bible says fire came out from the Lord. That's Moses. That's Elijah. Fire proceedeth out of their mouth. And devour their enemies, and if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Verse 6, these have power to shut heaven up, heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Now who did that? That's Elijah. Elijah says, it's not going to rain. And it didn't rain. And Ahab said, go find me Elijah. He's caught it. It's not raining. Go find Elijah. Elijah's the one that done that. He's the one that shut it up from raining. You can find that in James chapter James chapter 4, look at, uh, in the, and look at the, in the middle of verse 6. And have power over waters to turn them to blood. Now who could do that? Moses. Moses turned the water to blood. This is Moses and Elijah. And they've come back and they're preaching. The Lord's coming back. Repent. And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. That's Elijah. That's Moses. That's their whole testimony was plaguing Egypt. Elijah plagued Israel. But look at verse 7, something happens. When they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit, that'd be the Antichrist, and I'll preach on him, shall make war against them, and shall overcome them, and kill them. Brothers and sisters, one thing that Christians forget about is that we're martyrs for Jesus Christ. And I encourage you that no matter what happens to you, just keep on fighting for the Lord. You say, well, they might kill me. They might. They might throw me in prison. It could happen. But isn't Jesus Christ worth all of that? You know, there's some things that are worth standing up for. You know, we used to live in a country where an old preacher, a Baptist preacher stood up named Henry and said, give me liberty or give me death. And now we stand in a country today where they're like, just take away my liberty so I'll be safe. No, give me liberty or give me death. Give me Jesus Christ or give me death. Give me, let me keep my Bible or give me death. I can't guarantee you you're gonna, how long you're going to live. I know that when their testimony was done, the Lord was done with them. 
Verse 8, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom. That's where we get the name Sodomite. In Egypt, the world where also our Lord was crucified. That's Jerusalem. What's interesting today is one of the greatest, uh, the biggest, greatest LBGTQ parades in the world happened down in Jerusalem. It's amazing when you study that out. That's what the Lord says at Sodom, spiritually. And that's where their dead bodies are laying. They're preaching, they're preaching, repent. And then they, the Antichrist rises up and the Lord allows them to be killed and their bodies are laying out in the street. More likely they get their heads cut off. And they're laying out there dead. What do the people do? Well, they get excited, verse 9. And they are the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall, put, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. The whole world's watching them. They're laying out in the world. The whole world's watching them. They're laying out there in the streets and they're like, we need to bury these bodies. No, don't bury them. Leave them out there. Man, they were causing us all kinds of trouble. Look at verse 10. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts to one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. But man, these people have been giving us nothing but trouble. They've been preaching hellfire. They've been preaching Jesus Christ. I'm sick of them. Man, let's, let's have a party. They're finally gone. Don't you know that's what they were saying? Notice it says there in verse 9 that the whole world's watching their dead body. How could they do that? Well, 2,000 years ago, you couldn't do that. 50 years ago, you couldn't do that. But lo and behold, what does everybody have in their pockets? A way to open up that phone and go, look what's going on in Jerusalem right now. And the whole world's sitting around texting each other, I'm so glad they're dead. I'm so glad the Antichrist took care of them. I'm so happy. They're on Twitter. They're on Facebook. They're, I'm so, they're, they were such homophobes. They, were so, they, they preached hellfire. We know we don't believe in hell anymore. This is horrible. I can't, I'm so happy that we finally got rid of them. I'm so happy they're dead. I'm so glad. Let's send each other gifts. Oh, I'm so happy. That's how the world would feel about a lot of us if we were gone. Well, I got some news for them. They might get their wish sooner than later. The Lord might just take us out of here. And they can have this old world. They can have the gas prices. They can have eggs at $5 a dozen. They can have the balloons floating up in the sky. They can have all this nonsense we see every day. They can have all of this. I'll be up in heaven rejoicing. And I hope I'll meet you up there. You know who else is going to be up in heaven rejoicing? These two witnesses. Well, pastor, I thought their bodies were laying in the grave. I thought their bodies were laying out in the street. No, no, look, keep reading. Something happens. And after three days and a half, the spirit, capital S, of life from God entered into them. And they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Well, I bet so. Don't you know, they're up there on, they're watching Twitter, they're watching Facebook. And yeah, see, those are dead bodies. I thought I saw, look at that. What? Look at that again. What? Look at that. I think I saw his hand move. You know, they're laying out there, and you see the. Maybe the old finger starts twitching. I thought he's dead. He's been dead for three and a half days. And you see that old body kind of start standing up. <gasps> Great fear. What am I watching? And they start standing up. That's what's going to happen to everybody in here that's a born again believer in Jesus Christ. 
Your old body's going to be in the grave. Your soul's going to be up with Jesus Christ. But at the rapture, he's going to bring your old soul back. And those graves right there are going to open up. And body's going to rise up out of there. The spirit of life will be put into them. And our soul will go back into our body. And we'll have that new glorified body. Never to hurt. Never to cry. Never to sorrow. Never to sin. Forever. What a promise. Verse 12, And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. <laughs> That's what you're going to hear. You're going to come out of that grave, and that soul's going to be in there, and you're going to go, Whoa, Lord! And I'm going to go, Whoa, I got a, I got a head of hair. Oh, this is wonderful. Whoa. And now I'm going to hear, Kigan, come on up here. Come on home. Come up hither. This is where you belong. You don't belong down there in Sodom and Egypt. You belong up here with me. Come up here where the streets are gold. Come up here where the waters of life run freely. Come up here with the angels and the seraphim and the cherubim. Come up here with the crystal sea of glass. Come up here with the emerald rainbow. Come on up here. This is where you belong. Come up, Heather. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Praise God. You know what? They think they got us. They, think they, they really think they got us. Christianity is going to be destroyed. Christianity is going to go away. We're going to get rid of Christianity. We're going to get rid of this Jesus. We're going to get rid of all them Bible thumpers. We're going to get, yeah, you, you might do it one day. It'll be for just a little while. And then one day, it'll be a come up hither. Verse 13, and this is what they got. In the same hour was there a great earthquake. And the tenth part of the city fell, and the earthquake were slain of men 7,000. And the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. Oh, that's about that. a little late. It's a little late to be giving God glory then. You should have been giving him the glory a long time ago. See, because without faith, you can't please God. And you, you might be waiting around, so, well, I'll give God the glory when I see him come down. Oh, it'll be a little late. Won't you do it right now? Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ right now. You say, well, I can't see him. I can't show him to you. I can't present him to you like this, but I can tell you, if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ with your heart, you'll be amazed what happens on the inside. How the inside, you'll go, oh, yeah, oh, come up hither. I can't wait. See there, that great earthquake? Turn to Revelation 6. We're almost done. Revelation 6. I want to show y'all show something. Now, I've been teaching through this uh, Revelation 6, 12. Y'all read, read Revelation 6, 12. So I've been, re, I've been uh, teaching y'all that, uh, that there's four tellings of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The first telling is through the seals. The second telling is through the trumpets. The third telling is through the personages, and the fourth telling is going to be through the vows. And that's just like there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's four tellings of the first coming of Jesus Christ. There's going to be four. There's four tellings of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So that sixth trumpet is where that great earthquake takes place. We just read it in Revelation 11. So look at Revelation 6, 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. See, the sixth seal lines up with the sixth trumpet. And lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. See how those line up? 
That goes, I'm just trying to show you back there. So turn back to Revelation 11. I'm just trying to show you that that's why I teach that. There's, there's, there's a retellings. You're, it's going through. It goes through the second coming of Jesus Christ, and then it goes through again. It goes through again. It goes through again. It tells it four different times. And then Revelation 19, boom, Jesus comes back, and that's the millennial kingdom. I can't wait to get to that. Boy, I'm going to be preaching hard when <laughs> Revelation 19 comes. Get ready. I'm going to be yelling and screaming and shouting and snorting and everything else because that's what I'm waiting on. Coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's finish up Revelation 11, verse 14. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Remember, there's three woes that were prophesied by the angel. That was the second woe. Here it is, verse 15. And the seventh, seventh angel sounded. He sounds that trumpet. This is the seventh trumpet. This is the end. And there was a great voice in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world that belong to the devil are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. That's what we're waiting on. Jesus Christ to come back. Set up, we'll come back with him, set up his kingdom. The tribulation period takes place. And see, I had that arrow coming down. He comes back, sets up his kingdom. He's going to reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, that's the death, burial, and resurrection, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Look at verse 18. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged. Everybody in this room is going to get judged, either at the judgment seat of Christ or at the great white throne judgment. You will answer. And that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants. I hope you earn some rewards, my brothers and sisters. The prophets and to the saints. He'll reward us. Some of us will lose rewards. Some of us will gain rewards, but our salvation's intact. That's at the judgment seat of Christ. I preached on that recently. And them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. See, somebody reading verse 18 at the end should destroy them that destroy the earth. They, that's what's going on in the world. The world's so dumb, they think that mankind is destroying the earth through using their lawnmowers too much. Through cows having flatulence. Through all the nonsense that they teach. They think, that, no, why the world is getting destroyed, why this earth is destroyed, is because we're sinners. And our sin is polluting this earth. It's not plastic. It's not CO2. What's polluting this earth is sin and the sin we commit. It's the millions of babies we've aborted over this nation. The blood of those babies cry out to God. Avenge us. Avenge us. As we kill more and more babies and laugh about it and say it's a right. There's an answer to God for that. We're destroying the world for that. That's why the world gets destroyed. It's not CO2 or plastic or us not recycling. It's because we're sinners and we need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. Finally, in verse 19, finally, and the temple of God was opened in heaven. And there was seen in this temple the Ark of His Testament. There it is. You ever heard of Raiders of the Lost Ark? They're looking for the Ark of the Covenant. Where is it at? Well, I'll tell you where it's at. It's up in heaven. It got raptured out. It's up in heaven. It showed you, verse 19, that the ark is up in heaven at the temple of God in heaven. And there was lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hell. That's the finale. That's the finale. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? 
If you say, well, Pastor, I'm not sure. Well, then let's make that right. Let's get that settled this morning. Because I can't guarantee you tomorrow. Be honest with you, I can't guarantee you this afternoon. Because I know if the Lord comes back, I'm leaving. <laughs> Bye. See ya. <laughs> if you want to stay here on this earth, go right on ahead. God, give us a free will. It's one of the greatest gifts he gives us. You get to choose who you do, love, who you serve, who you worship. But when I was about 17, 18 years old, I got to looking at this stuff and I said, you know what? I think Jesus Christ is the one to do. He's the one to worship. And I put my faith in him and I've never, ever, ever regretted it. And one day I'm going to get to see him. I'm going to get to put my hands in front of him, lay down and bow in front of him and kiss his feet and to say simply, thank you for saving this old sinner. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, Father, if your Holy Spirit's moving, Lord, that you would speak to these people's heart the truth. Lord, let them know, Lord, that it's not short. It's, it's going to be pretty quick. You're coming back. And Lord, I pray, Father, that if they need to make a decision, they'll do that decision this morning, Lord. We're not Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now it's an amazing verse of course talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved.
is putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.